Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we realize that whenever Reformation happens in the history of the church, things get messy. And after this past synod, and looking forward to this next synod, things are really starting to get messy in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We're dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. We also want to say thank you to everyone who sponsored us on Patreon. We're slowly making our way to our modest goal of 20 sponsors at $5 a month. So if you appreciate what we're doing and want to help us continue to put out content, head on over to patreon.com slash themessyreformation. You can also support us for free by sharing our content. I'm a terrible self-marketer and everyone knows that now, so I need your help. If you know of anyone who would benefit from listening to this content, let them know about the Messy Reformation. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part one of my conversation with my wife, Rachel Rice. This week we're doing something a little different for the Messy Reformation because... Well, we had a couple cancellations and some scheduling conflicts, and so trying to figure out how we wanted to get an episode out this week, I decided we could talk to my wife and figure out what it's like to be the wife of a pastor and the wife of someone who podcasts and uh, figure out if she, why or how she can put up with me. But I think, I think the first question we have to ask before we dive into anything on the very first episode of the Messy Reformation, I said, my wife won't even listen to this podcast. And the question is, do you listen to the podcast? Yes, I've listened to every single podcast. I'm even up to date now as we talk. Yeah, so if you want your wife to do something, you just tell the world publicly that she won't, and then that happens. Yeah, I found it quite funny. <laughs> so... Um, I figured it would just be helpful to talk a little bit about your, your history because you didn't grow up in the Christian Reformed Church. So why don't you tell us a little bit about like what it was like growing up in your home? Yeah, so I grew up, um, I'm youngest of seven kids. My parents um, are very uh, strong Catholics. So I grew up going to Catholic school all the way through high school. Grew up going um, to church every Sunday. And uh, my parents, you know, grew up me, grew me up in our taught me in the Catholic faith. So it was a very important aspect of my life when we were growing up. My parents were very good at um, just making sure to teach us a lot of disciplines with prayer and um, going to church and trying to be a part of the church. So, Yeah. So, yeah, so you grew up in the church. You went to Catholic school, right? Yep, all the way through high school. So kindergarten through high school. I, I went to, you know, I went to a small Catholic school when I was younger, all the way through eighth grade. When I graduated, there was just six of us, actually. I mean, when we were younger, you know, in the younger elementary schools, I think we had 12 or 15, maybe. But it kind of dwindled as kids got older. They wanted to go to the public school and hang out with their friends. So, and then uh, I went to a bigger high school, um, closer to the cities in Minnesota. 
So, and I had probably about 150 in my class. I don't know. I never knew how you were technically supposed to know how many people were in your class, but it was much, much larger. And, um, yeah, so that was always like going to Catholic school, especially when it was a small Catholic school through elementary and eighth grade um, or junior high. You kind of grew up in a bubble. So everybody around you thought the same and had parents that were teaching their families the same at home. And so that was actually a really, uh, a really good aspect of my life, too. And then having my parents live their faith out at home was also very important. And then when I grew up, went up to high school and went to a bigger high school, not everybody was going there for um, the Catholic education. They were going there just for college preparatory or because they wanted to go to a private school. And so um, not everybody there was going there for the same reasons. So that was a lot different. Yeah. And so in general, right, you, you feel like you had a good, you, you enjoyed your, your growing up, right, growing up Catholic. Definitely. I mean, I didn't think anything different about praying to saints or doing the different traditions that um, I was taught growing up. And I suppose, you know, especially the difference with the Eucharist and communion and um, confession. I mean, those were some big differences from then to now. And because everybody else I knew, you know, was doing the same thing, that was just pretty common to me and didn't seem out of the ordinary or wrong, I guess. Yeah. Why don't you, why don't you tell everybody the story? Uh, so, so Rachel and I met, um, she was 16, so she was a, a going to be a junior, and I was a freshman in college, and we met, we dated for a while, and then she came to our Christian Reformed Church and the first time her and her sister, who was dating my friend, came to our church, we had communion. Uh, tell us about what your thoughts were uh, when, when we had communion, when, the first time you had communion outside of the Catholic church. So growing up Catholic, you never went to anyone else's church services. It was always you went to a Catholic mass, whether it was your um, church that was from your hometown or whether you were in a different, they were always the same. Like every Catholic mass is super identical. I mean, there are a little bit of differences, but not a lot. So realize it's the only church service I've really ever been a part of. And so when we, um, and so in Catholic church communion, you're all drinking from the same cup. And so you go up there for communion. That just seemed, well, that's what everybody did. And so when we were at church um, with you guys for the first time, it was really weird for me to have everything like pass around and I had very limited knowledge of what that was. And especially with, like, I mean, it was just, yeah, much different for that. But then I was thinking, like, my sister and I, like, is this right? Are we supposed to do this? Is this, <laughs> like, it kind of reminded us of the little bit of knowledge of, like, a cult when they passed around cups. <laughs> and everybody had to drink the Kool-Aid at the same time. And we're like, uh, this is weird. I don't know if this is what we're supposed to be doing. <laughs> so, um, but then... <laughs> After, you know, been doing communion a long time now, I realize it's actually kind of weird to be like, yeah, we're drinking from the same cup, too. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're wiping it with a cloth, turn it just a quarter turn. And <laughs> that's sometimes a bigger problem for others than than passing around all the cups and, and yeah, and bread. So, yeah, I just I think it's helpful for people to to realize that, you know, coming in out of the Catholic Church, coming into our service, you thought our service seemed a little cult-like, where most Christian Reformed people, I would say, when they would go to a Catholic service and participate in communion, they would think, my first thought when I went to the Catholic church was, 
this is kind of cult-like. And, uh, and so I think it's just, it's interesting to, to think about what it's like to have just becoming in from a completely different point of view and, and trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah, definitely. And when we were first engaged, um, my mom uh, had a little bit of a hard time with with you being Christian Reformed because she um, she knew of the Pease area in Minnesota and she knew how tight-knit everybody was there and she didn't know much about it, so she looked up about it and saw something about Dutch Reformed and then there was like something talking about how it was a cult. Yeah. <laughs> and so it really frightened my mom at first, um, wondering what, what her daughter was getting into. And so she was, she was scared and brought up concerns um, to me about that. And I was young and naive, so <laughs> luckily that really wasn't the thing. And looking back now, I think it's not that <laughs> the Christian Reformed Church is a cult or anything like that. But there's definitely that Dutch bingo. And as soon mm-hmm. as you start talking to one person, you know, you start getting connected everywhere else. And then, you know, people are connected through different communities. They move out and then they kind of join in their similar groups um, with people with the same values. And so I think that's where that um, thought or process came out. And I think that came from actually one of my mom's uncles who was a little bit older. And yeah. and there's always been that little bit of a beef between the Catholics and the different yeah. Protestants. <laughs> Well, just Dutch people too. Like there's the Dutch Catholics, which is like your dad and, and his family. Mm-hmm. Um, Rachel's maiden name is Van Busicum, so it's got a good Dutch thing going on. Um, but then the Dutch Catholics and the Dutch Reformed people, they did not like each other for a very long time. Like it was very taboo for someone from the CRC to marry a Catholic and some a Catholic person to marry someone from the CRC. Like that was just a no-go situation. Yeah, it seems like even um, more so for the Christian Reform, someone from the Christian Reform faith to marry some of the Catholic. Even once we were married, you know, I knew other Catholic um, uh, women who have, you know, married some Christian Reform men, and and I heard some stuff from people around our generation, and and that was actually very concerning to me because those are things I've never heard before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, growing up, um, anyone, I, any of my cousins that got married or. Siblings, if they got married to somebody else of a different like denomination, they would just be like, "Oh, okay, you've been baptized. All right, we're still getting married in the Catholic Church, so you know, yep. our, our 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 denomination tops yours. So then we're good. It's like a hierarchy. I feel like probably unsaid hierarchy. Probably, probably. There's a little bit of that, um, and yet the funny thing is, so so like you guys were like, as long as we get married to the Catholic church, our church is better than yours. Anyways, we'll do that. My brother and I both married Catholic girls and we're like, we'll just be like leaven in the dough. We'll eventually evangelize the Catholic church and bring them over to the Christian reformed faith. Is that really what you were thinking? No, I was just really immature. (laughs) We were young. (laughs) We were young and dumb. Yeah. Yeah. I remember one of the posts you had posted, uh, when I was out of the hospital, you know, you talked about how young and dumb we were and yet how miraculous it is that not that we're even made it this far because just by God's grace alone. And we can look back at even, you know, we don't recommend probably Catholics and non-Catholics to get married because there is quite a, there was a lot of tension early on in our marriage over that. Definitely. I mean, when you're going to different church services separately, you're not worshiping together. That's a big deal. And you know, one will either just be, you know, and then no one's there to keep you accountable too, because, you know, when I was going to my, you know, when I was going to mass and you weren't going to church, it wasn't like, 
you know, I was like, hey, you got to go. It was just like, well, I'm going, you're not. And then, yeah. and then later on when you were going and I was going to mass and then I'd go to church with you, I was just, you know, look all, look all how strong I am. I'm going to one. Going to two churches, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let me just drop that yeah. off and yeah, that's. Yeah, she was way holier than me for a long time. And when no, we first, right. I think not that at all. But I, I definitely did feel feel righteous when I shouldn't have. <laughs> well, I was. Uh, I mean, I was not a very godly man when we first got married, right? I mean, I was kind of off doing my own thing, and yeah, we didn't. I didn't really attend church regularly for a while. Um, it was eventually. I mean, it was kind of all along the same moment for for both of us, um, really, where. Um, God kind of started to grab hold of both of us. We, we felt convicted. I mean, that was the Holy Spirit working in us saying, hey, we need to start going to church more often. We need to start going to a Bible study. And really, it just kind of came out of nowhere, right? I mean, I don't think there was like an event. It was just all of a sudden we thought, hey, we need to start going to church more and, and, and studying the Bible. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I know, you know, we did different Bible studies together with with other friends and families that we were getting closer to with. And I know that was definitely part of what kind of helped the, like the flames continue to go that the Holy Spirit had done in us. But, um, yeah, I mean, that was, uh, yeah, it was, yeah. We, we had this kind of nudge by the Holy Spirit to start going back to church. And then we started going regularly. We got involved in a, in a small group, a young adult small group. And we started studying the Bible there. And that was really what, kind of kicked everything off and really our lives have never been the same since, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I wouldn't say that before all that, you know, I wasn't a believer, I wasn't a follower of Christ, but I think my faith was very shallow or just, I mean, it was a lot of the stuff that was taught as a kid, which was amazing. And it was these foundations that um, are so pivotal and so amazing to have in a kid's life. But I going to the Bible studies, you know, just forced you to be in the Bible, mm-hmm. you know. And so that was what really just helped grow my faith and our faith, I feel like. And then we are convicted to continue and to keep going. And then it's just gone, you know, the, those convictions have, um, you can see them in our kids and in other people that, in other lives, that um, people that we're close with as well. Yeah. And you would say that's what really, I mean, in a, in a very basic way, just reading and studying the Bible is what um, kind of made you decide, okay, I think I'm, I think I want to be Christian reformed now, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, I can't even remember exactly where we were reading, but I know, I mean, I had, growing up Catholic, you hear like every four, throughout four years, they have a liturgy that changes every week. So by the time you're done with that, you've heard the gospel in those four years, probably repeated at least all the gospels repeated probably every year, I suppose. And you go through, it's heavy in the gospels, which is great. And then you have one old Testament every, every mass. And then, um, and then typically one new Testament, one of Paul's uh, letters. And then growing up, going to Catholic school, you also, so you had church on Sundays and then you had church during the week, especially all the way through eighth grade and high school is like every few weeks. So, like, I knew the Gospels well. Like, you could almost, I could tell you everything that kind of happened in the Gospels because of that. But, the uh, like, the New Testament, you know, the, the Paul's letters or Romans, or I didn't know quite as well. And, I mean, I do remember, like, in church, a letter to the Romans. So, But I was mm-hmm. like, do they just skip over some of the stuff <laughs> that they don't want the Catholics, they don't want, like, other Catholics to really hear? 
Probably. I know that was quite, you know, influential for me is Romans and, um, and Hebrews and Acts. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, one of the, one of the, um, yeah, what, just one of the cool stories of, of our lives is you coming in and, um, becoming a member of our church, um, the Christian Reformed Church and, and baptizing our kid there. And, you know, that was a tumultuous time, right? I, I mean, as far as, um, Rachel's family having a difficult time with that because in the Catholic Church, you know, that we had baptized our first two kids in the Catholic Church. Um, and then now that we're both members of the Christian Reformed Church, we were baptizing our, our third daughter in the Christian Reformed Church. And that was, um, there was a lot of turmoil in Rachel's family. But um, over that, there, there was a little frustration and concern about that. But um, really, what that did is it really opened the door for us to have a lot of. Um, good conversations with her family about what we believe, why we believe it. And, uh, and I, I've told a lot of people that was actually the moment where I find I first really fell in love with the Heidelberg catechism because Rachel's parents were asking us questions about, well, what do you believe about baptism? And, and I was so young and immature at that time. I was like, I don't know. And then I was like, I think there's a book somewhere that talks about this. And so I remember opening up the Heidelberg catechism and saying, Oh, here's this. And then we started studying the Bible and it really helped us dive in deeper and have good conversations with your family about it too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I remember reading through before becoming a member, you know, going online and being like, okay, what are the canons of Dort? What are all the things in here? Because I was like, well, I don't know. What, what is this? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so it's been, it's actually opened up a lot of doors. We just have really good conversations with your family. I don't think the, you know, the feeling I get, anymore um there there's not like a major concern here now because i think your family has now kind of seen the the fruit of of our faith and and uh yeah there it's uh, it's different and one of the one of the really cool conversations we've had you know there, there's a lot of stereotypes about the catholic church and 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 uh you know on paper i, I always try to tell people on paper uh, i don't think the catholic church has the gospel but there are a lot of faithful priests out there right now. I've met a couple of them that are actually preaching the gospel, that we're saved by grace through faith alone, not by works. Um, uh, and, uh, and I've met faithful Catholics who believe that. And one of the conversations we had with Rachel's parents at one point was, you know, she was concerned that we believed at the, in the Christian Reformed Church that we were saved by works and not by faith because of some of the legalism that they saw in the Christian Reformed Church. And so... Um, it was a really beautiful thing to be like, hey, here's this Catholic family, and they really do believe that we're saved by faith alone. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, I forgot about that. That's yeah. good to be reminded. Yeah. So, like, so now we'll, we'll kind of turn the corner here and talk about the Christian Reformed Church a little bit. What, what were some of the things that you appreciated about the Christian Reformed Church when, when you kind of came into it? I don't know. It's hard to think back to figure out, like, what were the first things I really appreciated about it. Um, I mean, I remember reading uh, a while ago with my one new Bible that I, you know, my older Bible that I used to use. Mm -hmm. And I was like, hey, it said that, you know, like they mentioned all the different churches that contributed to the translation. And I remember being like, it says the Christian Reformed Church in here. Like the Christian Reformed Church is not like a really big church. I always say Mm -hmm. like, you know, yeah, some things like CR, you know, Christian Reformed famous, but it's not really famous. That's true. (laughs) And so I was like, hey, this is actually listed somewhere. Otherwise, you'd be like, no one knows who the heck you're talking about, what you're talking yeah. about. So it definitely emphasizes, uh, you know, the word of God and the power and authority that's there. 
um, compared to, of course, yeah, the traditions or, you know, the stuff of the old. Yeah, I think I think that has been, that's one of the things I've really appreciated about the Christian Reformed Church is uh, we've had an outsized impact for how small of a denomination we actually are. And, you know, I, this quote has been attributed to, I don't know how many different people. Somebody said Billy Graham said it. Somebody said something, I don't remember, some other. They're all trying to get somebody famous to talk about the CRC to make the CRC seem a little more important. But um, I heard somebody called, somebody famous, maybe it was Billy Graham, said, um, called the CRC a sleeping giant. And, uh, and, and, and I think there's some truth. The only reason that story is, whether it's true or false, um, it's stuck around because the CRC has had this outsized impact for being such a teeny little denomination. Yeah. Thinking back to another thing that was probably very um, helpful for me with the Christian Reformed Church is just like old Dutch ladies, as yeah. weird as that sounds. Um, you know, bringing meals when you have a baby and the welcoming that they are there and then they're hardworking and just like being good, like homemakers, as in, you know, taking care of their families. So that's definitely a solid thing that the Christian Reformed Church has done yeah. and continues to do. Yeah. Amen. That is a, that's a really good word. I, I, that, this is the beauty of interviewing, um, you know, my wife on this podcast, uh, is uh, seeing that point of view that probably none of the other pastor men on, <laughs> that I've interviewed have said, except for Juan Sierra. He said that, he said, pay attention to some of these old ladies in your church. They're doing some really good things. So thank you, Juan. But but Rachel, I think you're right. We, we've got some really solid older women in the church. You got to experience some of that. I mean, we've experienced some of that hospitality, but you've also been able to experience some of that like discipleship too from yeah, them. Definitely. Um, I mean, anytime... It's, I don't think it was at first on purpose where you're like looking up to people as they're, you know, just living life with you and doing the things with you. But you pick up, you know, whether it's recipes or things that they're making or just how they're able to handle the busyness of life, but still continue to do what God's calling them to do with their families and with their church. And, you know, sometimes they push themselves even harder and, you know, they expect more, but they also work hard for it to glorify God and yeah. Yeah. I think, and you and I have said, even the, that young adult small group that we are a part of, it was good and it was really foundational to us, but probably the biggest thing we got from that was just being in the home and watching Christian parents parent their children. And we were such young. I mean, we were in our early twenties. We were young, immature, trying to figure out how to parent kids. And so we were able to watch someone do that. And we, we learned a lot just by watching. Definitely. I mean, I know I know for me, especially being such a young mom and um, trying to make sure I did everything right, I read every book and every magazine possible before we had Olivia and after we had Olivia and when we had Aaron, because I was like, well, the world's just expecting me to fail. The world's expecting us to fail. And so I want to prove them wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And so like, I'm going to do everything like to the T, you know, when, when we, when I first had Olivia and I was nursing and since I was such a young mom, I was like, wake up every two, you know, I'm going to be, or I think it was every three hours. Like I literally set an alarm clock and did this. And then, you know, my mom's like, you don't need to do that. And then, um, you know, the doctor's like, she's doing fine. You can like let her wake herself up. And like, I don't know, I was told this is what we're supposed to do. Like, why do you tell us this is what you're going to do? But you don't tell us like, I don't know. I feel yeah. like they're a little overemphasizing on that. So I know at first we were doing, I was, you know, especially working on trying to do everything um, perfectly, but it was nice to be able to 
to be with another family to see how they did it without trying to do everything perfectly because mm-hmm. nothing's ever perfect. Mm-hmm. So here's the theme of the podcast, if you haven't noticed. If you tell my wife she can't do something, she will prove you wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And that and that right there is the answer to the question posed at the beginning of the podcast. How in the world does she put up with me? She she is just as stubborn as I am. Yep. I think you went out a little bit. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. That's the that that's the debate, go ongoing debate in our home. Which one of us is actually more stubborn and wins? Mm-hmm. I think I mean, I think because our marriage is where it's at, because we were so so young and dumb when we first got married. For one, by the grace of God, and prayers by many, because they knew we were young and dumb. <laughs> That's true. And then two, we were stubborn in the right ways. Yeah. Um, and so th- there's a way to be stubborn in the wrong way, but there's a stubborn to be in the right way. And I feel like a couple of those things, well, one of them especially was not back, like not talking bad about you to anyone yeah. else um, was one of those. Yeah. Yeah, ditto. Yeah, that we kind of both, I don't, I don't know if you got that advice from someone else or if, I don't even remember if we had talked about that, but it was kind of a commitment we both made to each other. We're not going to bash our spouse to other people. And I don't know if I ever, if we ever did, I don't, I don't remember what we even did at our marriage counseling beforehand or that marriage counseling weekend we did. I can't remember anything besides the silly tile thing. Yeah. Nothing else makes sense or, or, you know, I can remember anything else from it. So we either learned that there or... I mean, I don't remember my parents talking really bad about each other. Besides, my mom's like, "Your dad's always late," <laughs> which is true. <laughs> yeah, so so I don't know if that was part of it, but yeah. I remember the stuffed animal thing from our. <laughs> Not that we're going to talk about that. No. That's a inside joke story, but <laughs> I, that that stands out from our marriage counseling. I forgot about that. <laughs> it would be a guy thing, I suppose, to remember that one. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, um, (laughs) she's, I'm I'm trying to get her to laugh and and I'm getting the eye. Yeah. So, um, but I think you're right. There, there's something, I always kind of joke that, you know, uh, my grandma, my grandma always says, well, that's us Dutch people. We're not stubborn. We're just determined. And, uh, but I think there's actually like, it's a joke, right? We're trying to, they're trying to put a positive spin on your own stubbornness. And yet, um, there is a beauty to the, let's say there's a, there's a way to be stubborn in a bad way, but there's a way to be determined, which is stubborn in a good way where it's like, we're not going to quit. We're not going to back down. We're going to keep going. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that has, uh, I was just talking to somebody about that a while ago. He wasn't a Christian. He was a business owner and he was asking like, what do you think has caused, you know, like, what do you think one of the most key things to success is? And I said, oh, boy, I look at my life and like, not that I'm like super successful. As my wife says, I'm not even like CRC famous. Um, I'm not even abide. Fam- I may be abide famous, but, but not even CRC famous. And so, but, but like, I've, I've, I, I'm not like a failure. And I said, you know, I think just determination and perseverance, like just willing to kind of just keep moving forward and doing what God has called me to do, even when it's sucks <laughs> yeah. even when i don't feel like it like keep moving and that is a form of of stubbornness yep definitely yeah and i think it's something that has been true of dutch people or of the christian reformed church in the past 
I mean, and even it, it, it's, I suppose that's probably part of even the divide going on in the Christian Reformed Church right now is this stubbornness on on both sides uh, of the coin, really. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, what 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 do you see? I mean, you're you know, I mean, I'm really involved in all of this, and we, you and I have a lot of conversations. But like, what what are some of the some of the frust? I guess what maybe let's take this another direction. You've you've kind of been a You've taught a lot of children's ministry in the Christian Reformed Church. Um, um, what what have been some of your frustrations, I suppose? I, we could go into some of the things you've liked, too, but but also what have been some of your frustrations around kind of children's ministry in the Christian Reformed Church? Yes, yeah, so I've done a lot of ministry with, like, the younger kids, so probably three through third or fourth grade, or now I guess I'm going through fifth and sixth. But um, one of the big frustrations I have with a lot of the material that's coming in through the CRC is it's very light on like theology. It's more of like the Bible stories that you could see on anywhere and in culture. Um, the books that are training the teachers do a pretty good job. They'll, they'll mix a little bit of theology in there. So if you read the stuff ahead of time, you'll see that in there, but that's not making its way all the way through the, to the kids. I mean, unless you're going to read, you know, where everything is coming from. Um, they do a good job of trying to make, if so if it's a younger curriculum, they try to keep things smaller based off of attention span. So I see that they're doing a good job there, but sometimes I feel like they're dumbing it down too much. Yeah, They're trying to make it so they don't lose their, distri- you know, they don't get distracted at all. But I mean, often if the kids are paying attention. So um, one of the things I do like, um, we've been working on the, children in worship um program that uses the um book and i think that's with rca church i think the rca helped yeah um they do a really good job of incorporating different like senses and sounds and teaching children how to worship and then and then once they get to the story they do a good job with using you know felt and wooden 3d things that you can touch and feel and so being able to use all those senses, especially to a kid, is just amazing. But often when you look at the stories, if you leave them as they are, they start um, missing out. They leave the kids in the wonder. Mm-hmm. Like, I wonder. And I, and I like how they have the I wonder questions. And I think that's good to have them like, I wonder. But then they let every answer to sustain and stay there. Mm. Like, I wonder. And you're like, hmm, that could be right. Like, no, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Like we have to be okay with selling somebody that's wrong. Yeah. Um, and so they stay in the I wonder, and they don't finish it. They like start it out, and they kind of like show them a little bit of in a little taste because they want them to come back wanting more. But I feel like they don't finish the story. Yeah. And so that's where I feel like. Um, so we just started doing this children worship curriculum, and I didn't even know really what to expect i just knew i had been a part of it a couple times beforehand and this is of course for the for the really little kids but as i keep going through it i was like oh i kind of you know like i'm like this is doing good like i like this and then i'm like ah so close but doesn't quite you know doesn't quite really you know finish it out and so you know how do we do that as um, ministry leaders and how do we make sure that's solid and not just leaving kids not the i wonder and not finishing pointing it out that's all we have for this week 
If you want to help us out and support the Messy Reformation, another thing you can do is head on over to themessyreformation.com, look in the menu bar and find Join the Reformation. By clicking on that, you can sign up for our newsletter where you'll get episodes sent right directly to your email inbox, and it will give us the opportunity to communicate with our audience, which is one of the biggest struggles of a podcast. So head on over there and sign up for our newsletter. Now, stay tuned next week for part two of my conversation with Rachel Rice. But until then, don't forget this is Christ Church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.